0: Free This is one more episode of the Arch of Now podcast, episode 525. To insanity! I'm doing some fist pumps right now. I'm so happy to be here with all of you wherever you are, whoever you may be, whatever you may be creating. If you're running around outside with your pants down or if you're inside doing the jive and writing a memoir, it is all right here right now and thank you for listening. I am super excited to introduce my guest today because he may be the most interesting man I've ever talked to. I'm not kidding. He is the definition of an entrepreneur. He has written over like 30 books on various different subjects. He's done all sorts of things for inventing toys and books and how to adjust to bullying for children. hes I mean, I, I can't even list on a piece of paper all the things that he's accomplished. He was also in a band called Billy Thorpe and the Aztecs, which one of the guys went to go on and play with the, the Bee Gees. I mean, he, he's a mentor, he's a teacher, he's into arts, he's into crafts, he's into paper arts and crafts, scrapbooking, anything you can imagine. And seriously, this is one of the most interesting people I've ever talked to in my life. I hope you all enjoy it just as much as I do. For all the show notes, it's artsynow.com forward slash 52 and here we go come on everybody let me hear that beat come on come on everybody let me hear that stinky, stinky, rinkity deekity beat yeah oh yeah well here we go now
1: who wants to get a little bit funky out there well,
0: funky. who wants to get a little creative out there huh yeah which one of you wants to get a little bit artsy now? Well, I do. I do. Well, get on with your bad selves, yeah. We can't. He's coming hard out of Australia with a creative and entrepreneurial past, and it's gonna blow all of our minds. He's a writer of over 30 books. He sold one dead seagull to 699 kids at school to get it all started. He moved on to become an artist, an inventor, a designer, a master, and a teacher. And his head never stops rolling. If you can think of anything creative, he has done it. A skidamarinkity-dinkity-dink a skidamarinkity doo Tony Barber, how are you? You are the entrepreneur now. What is going on?
1: <laughs> what an intro! I almost feel like I should just walk into the big top of the tent right now, and everyone's ready for me. And you're <laughs> the ring, and you're the ringmaster.
0: <laughs> Sounds like an awesome time to me, man.
1: Uh it does it does. Yes, I mean every kid wants to run away to the, you know to the circus. I just wanted to run away <laughs> to Australia.
0: <laughs> well, that's essentially what you did. You know at, at a young age of 20 years, you picked up and went to Australia. You want to talk about that and how you got there?
1: Uh yeah, I nearly didn't make it. Um along the way, I saw the advertisement in England. Um I think it's 62, 63, 1963, asking for people to populate Australia. And the government was prepared to pay your fare there for, uh, um, you just paid, I think, £10, but $20, and that was it. And so I went to the interview and I said, so, so hit me with this again. I can either go by plane, which takes what, a couple of days? They said, Yep. I said, or I can go by ship, which takes about three days, uh, three weeks. I said, now one question too. So do you pay my meals and everything on the way? And they said, yep. Yeah. So I thought, hmm, two days of free meals and uh three, as again, three weeks of free meals. I'm going by the ship. Fatal mistake. I'd never been in a ship before. And for exactly... <laughs> Exactly three long weeks, I was absolutely, totally under the spell of seasickness. Every single waking day, night, it just, they called me Creeping Jesus because I wandered around that ship with a blanket over my head, just trawling the decks um, up and down 24 hours a day. I'll never, ever forget it. Um, th- there was a brief respite when we went through, I think it was the Suez Canal, Uh, Everything went flat and calm, and instantly, I'm fine for about two days. Knowing, though, of course, when we reached the end, it was open ocean again, and uh, it was on for one and all. So it was quite a trip. But I got over that. I got over that. Thank goodness. And I'm still here. I'm still here.
0: (laughs) Well, you've you've obviously made it a, a sustainable living there in creating all these amazing things that you've done. And I've, I honestly, in this entire interview process through the 50 plus creatives I've interviewed all over the world, I don't think anybody has quite accomplished as many different varieties of things as you have. I mean, it's amazing. You've, you've been into the music, you've done the rock and roll, uh, you've done the product and toy development. You've done, you developed stuff for artists to make their lives easier. You've written all these books you teach uh, it, and it's kind of overwhelmingly exciting to me to, to get to talk to somebody like you and, and just kind of learn your story and how you've, how you created this into one big exciting life
1: well it um, i I realized what I was going to be doing for the rest of my life when I was at school uh, that's when I first got the inkling, and there was uh, what I say six hundred and ninety nine kids in that school and i I realized I was really the only kid in that school that had any, any interest in books, any interest in drawing and sketching, et cetera and it wasn't before long that I realized. I was the one that could create stuff out of the whole school. But I didn't want to get too artsy-fartsy about it at that age, you know, when you're 11. And um, my whole sort of marketing career, my, my first marketing lesson that I learned, and even though I wasn't quite aware of what I was learning at the stage, I had this instinct of what was happening, uh, was when I'm on my way to school and a seagull just drops out of the sky. This is a true story. Dead dead just right in front of me so I pick up the seagull I mean what are the odds and I don't know if you've ever been close to a seagull they're hard to get close to but they're so smooth and tiny little feathers so I opened the beak I looked in I thought has this bird got a tongue and I pulled the wings out and I looked up its you know back tail I thought somewhere there must be a tiny little bottom hole somewhere in this bird and I found it of course and that went on for 10 minutes and I stopped and I I thought to myself, I thought, Tom, you've entertained yourself here for about 10 minutes, and there must be 699 other kids at school that would probably be just as entertained with this dead seagull as you. Um, So I I went home. I got a cardboard box, shoebox, put the seagull in the shoebox, cut a hole in the side, pulled its leg out, a little orange leg sticking out, and put (laughs) put a sign on the top that said, dead seagull. And so... I knew I had sort of, uh, what do you call it, curiosity already as as a marketing tool. So I went to school. I told the kid in the school that usually told everyone what was going on. And I said, tell everyone that Barber will be on the playground um, at lunch break and he's got a dead seagull if they want to take a look at it. And um at the first lunchtime, they lined up. They were absolutely lining up to touch the leg of this dead seagull sticking out of the box. And then of course it didn't take long. Someone said, Oh, can I have a look and you know and hold it? I said, Ah, certainly. But it'll cost you it it'll cost you sixpence or a comic or two lollies. And, and depending on the degree and the length of time that you wanted to hold it. And sort of, you know, pull its wings out, etc. The um, the fee for doing that uh, was raised up, and by the end of a week, uh, I turned from the poorest kid in the school to, in kids' terms, the richest kid in the school, with so many comics, lollies, and my pockets jangling with money. Um, And then, after about a week. I realised that this seagull was going to start uh, smelling a bit. So I told the same guy, I said, tell everyone Barbara wants to sell his dead seagull. And I sold that to one of the richest and obviously dumbest kids in the school. And yeah. uh, that was my first marketing lesson. And uh, what, I, what I'd actually done, of course, is I'd created a product and one I hadn't even designed or put together, but I did design the box um i found and isolated my uh demographics that i was going to sell this to Um i advertised and promoted it through the kid that told everyone and then i sold my asset and my company the dead seagull when it when it was at its peak of popularity a classic you know marketing lesson and uh and from that point on, I then thought, wow, um, because I can design and create stuff and come up with um, unusual things, these kids that can't are fascinated by this and they're always looking for new things all the time. And I'm just the guy then to, to deliver it to them. It, it also had another side issue um apart from those with those 699 kids in the school there were at least 60 of them that were training to be homicidal maniacs and they would <laughs> they would choose any kid at random and of course I was a prime target because i had books and stuff like that and i was small and i thought after they first they did me over once and I thought, this is not going to happen again. I'm not spending five years living in fear amongst these kids here. So um, I did two things. I made myself indispensable if they wanted something unusual or different um, or entertaining. Barber would get it, find it, or do it, or create it, or make it. And the other thing I did was, and I was already halfway there, I knew that, I became even more eccentric than I normally am or was to the point of almost giving the impression that, you know, that guy, that barber guy, he's he's just crazy. He's crazy. And that worked because people don't really willingly go near crazy people because they're um, unpredictable. And I was as unpredictable as you could get. And uh, so I was safe. I only got trounced once. No other bully came anywhere near me. for the whole six years, so it was handy. Uh, especially when I went onto my next venture, which was exploding teachers' bum pictures, which was a <laughs> it was a huge success. It was the first time I sold my artwork as an artist. I did drawings of uh, teachers on pieces of paper, but I didn't put the heads in, and all the teachers were bending over. Uh, so I had one teacher bending over, picking something up, and no face. So I would, uh, for sixpence, again, five cents, uh, I'd draw in the head of the teacher that you most hated, um, <clears throat> and, and then you would get that picture. But also with the picture came its little tiny marketing gimmick. And I'd found out that if you get saltpeter and mix it with uh, water, etc., and then I made a trail on the back of the paper with a stick and let it dry. Then I got some gun caps, which you could buy in little rolls then. You know, you put them in the toy guns, the gun cap rolls. And I cut one off and I glue it at the back on the just where the teacher's bum was. And so when anyone bought it uh, for sixpence, they took that away. And, of course, everyone's always practising smoking at school as well. And they would just touch the ash on the end of that Saltpeter Trail and it would go wound its way all around the piece of paper and finally got to the gun cap and blew the backside off the teacher. <laughs> I made so many of those exploding teachers' bum pictures. So um, I was off and away, and I thought, this is good. You know, I'm going to use my uh, creativity here. I, I can, I can build a career on this, <laughs> and what I did.
0: A, what, what an amazing product to have at such a young age like I, I I would probably buy that from you right now just to see it work <laughs> I was about to say I'll
1: bet you uh, I could sell those now but of course you know what would get in the way now don't you political
0: correctness would get in the way oh, yeah, mm. without a doubt I mean they would well, they would probably take you in and and hit you with some kind of charge for you know defamation they, of teacher character or something you know
1: well funny enough um about to sort of create a scenario like that, because, as you know, um, that sort of publicity can help you with a product or a design. Absolutely. And, uh, um, like, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 years later, um, I wrote a book um, based on the 10 or 20 systems that I used at school uh, in order to reinforce the fact that I was a little bit cookie um, and to get bullies never to come near me at all. And become, I suppose, well, they, they wouldn't admit they were frightened, but they were because was just too unpredictable. And so what I did was like 40, I must be, this is only five, six, seven years ago. I went to a publish, one of my publishing companies that does the kids' books. I said, look, I've got this idea for a book and it's called How to Drive Bullies Bonkers. Um, and uh, it's a little handbook of actually how to do it. Um, And I told them, I said, look, I did these things. You may not think so. These are not made up. I actually did these things. So it would take a very rare, you know, um, clone of Tony to to have the nerve to do these. But um, it didn't sort of bother me. And uh, they argued with me because they didn't want to call the book um, the full title. And I'll tell you what the full title is in a moment. Um, They went for the book. I wrote it. And they said, oh, look, they called me up. They said, oh, it's very good and it's very funny and it sends up bullies big time and uh, it's humorous um, and the methods are really interesting. They cut a couple out. They were just a bit too much for them, I think. And uh, they said, but it's, uh," they said, you're going to have to actually write it as if it's a made-up book because if it's real, they said, and we know that actually you actually did it. They said we could get some uh, complaints (laughs) there. (laughs) And <laughs> um, I thought, oh, damn. Um, and so the uh, times passed, etc. So, I, you know, your book rights come back to you. And so uh, I'll probably redo that with the title that I wanted, which was because I know what it will cause it's how to drive bullies bonkers without actually killing them. And I had this beautiful drawing of a bully on the front, absolutely pin cushioned with arrows through every part of his body. Body, including his groin, um, but they, they wouldn't go for it. They wouldn't put that cover off that book. <laughs> and I said, you know what will happen? I said, if we put that book out, I said, the wowsers across the world are all going to contact you and me, and and it will create enormous free publicity. <laughs> they said, yes, but we might lose all our other customers <laughs> at the same time.
0: <laughs> that, that is such an amazing title, and, and I could see the hook there working very well. Uh, just throw, you know, like how to. What was the full title of the book?
1: How to drive bullies bonkers without actually killing them. <laughs> yeah,
0: how, how to drive bullies dot com. You know, just throw a landing page up with the book promoted. I uh, oh, You're ahead of
1: me. You're ahead
0: of me. <laughs> it, it could go. It could go viral, man. That sounds like an awesome idea. I would. I would love. To, you know, I did the same kind of stuff when I was a kid. I was always getting into trouble, uh, experimenting with things, and at a young age, I was. You know, I I think my first entrepreneurial event wasn't quite as exciting as yours was with a dead seagull, but I was going to uh, garage sales and I found this guy that was, uh, he had all this excessive, they were like, when CDs first came out, you know, and they had the CD cases and they were like the new case logic ones. And he would sell them to me real cheap and then I would go and mark them up like, you know, 150% and go out and sell them in the schools to everybody. Yeah. Uh, But, but. Uh, I you know, also had trouble with bullies when I was younger because I was small also, and and I would have been all over that How to Drive Bullies Bonkers book, and I also would have been exploding lots of teachers' bums, that's for sure. I know,
1: <laughs> but I realized as I got a little bit older that this designing and creating of products um, – And so many people forget that nowadays. It's just based on three principles, and you just have to think of them all the time. And you either fulfill a need, you create a need, or you improve a need. And if you've got a product that can do one or more of those things, you're already halfway there to success. People sort of forget that. I've met, and I've talked to often at inventors clubs, Um, to inventors and try and, you know, um, um, help them if I can. But i found inventors sometimes, they've worked on one invention for 20 years, they've never actually put it out in the market, they've never actually thought of does it fulfil a need, create a need or improve a need, and um, they can't let it go. They just can't let it go. And sometimes they spend so long on it that uh, its actual original use has passed. There's no longer any markup for I'm I'm just stunned. So I learned not to get too emotionally, you know, attached to these ideas and things. Uh, test them out, see if they work, and if they don't, move on. Just move on to something else.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yes. When you're making these products are jumping all over the board. You know, I know you've you got your hands involved in so many different things. What are some of the most important things that you do as a person like throughout the day to kind of stay persistent and to stay on getting these things created from the idea to actually getting them out there? Because I know a lot of our listeners love to hear that kind of value because they are thinking about making something themselves. Uh, so could you kind of walk us through wh- what you do to stay on target? I know you talked about list building in the pre-chat. Uh, is there, is yeah. there anything in particular? Well,
1: the internet is making things a bit easier. Let's say I come up with some ideas. I mean, I well, um, let's take, a, a, I've just designed and it's just about ready to, in the stage, ready to sort of move on it, a uh, cut and hold tape dispenser. And uh, I thought this would be neat. So I did a couple of sketches. And if I'm still sketching two days later, I know um, that I'm onto something and that devo- and I will allot maybe a week of my time to it, if it can't hold my attention at that stage after a day or two, then i drop it because I thought, well, I've run out of, you know, I can't improve it, uh, it's just a bit one-off, I can't sort of bring out model three or four, et cetera. It hasn't got a long life, marketing life to it. Um, not that you can't, you know, make just one item and it sells millions and that's it. Um, but it's always good to try and, you know, add on product to something and make that uh, marketing uh, period and selling time last even longer. So uh, with this cut-and-hold tape dispenser, after I got the initial idea and the sketch, first thing I did was, and you always should do, um, I checked worldwide, has anyone else created this cut-and-hold tape dispenser uh, that has quite unique things that it can do? I phoned up, of course. The first thing I did was phone up the... Uh, uh, tape dispenser manufacturers around the world, and said, "Oh, would you have a, uh, a tape dispenser that can cut up to about thirty pieces of uh, sticky tape um, from any length I want down to three or four millimeters? But I want it to cut it with a straight edge on all four sides, and I want to be able to park and have it hold about thirty pieces." so that I can use them when I feel like it, but only with one my thumb thumb and my forefinger, which leaves my other hand free to do anything I want. Would you have something like that? And the answer everywhere around the world was no, 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 no. And some of them even said, no, what would you want something like that for? I never told them why you would need something like that for, because I already knew um, what you would use something like that for. And it's it, you would use it for crafts because craft people, when they're making something, they're using both their hands. And if they're using, a, say, a piece of sticky tape or something, they generally have to um, either put that object that they're working on down and take one of a tape dispenser and you need to hold it and pull out the tape. Or if you're wrapping a present, you know, a gift, and we all wrap gifts and things at Christmas time, uh, you try and uh, – you try and use an ordinary basic tape dispenser, a little tiny one or one on a heavy metal base, um, and wrap a present and keep your hand on the part of that parcel while you're trying to get a bit of tape off. Um, you'll end up getting more tape than you need. Um, it'll be bigger. It'll be crunchy. Um, you'll stick it on the side of the desk. You'll get all your wife's best uh, tabletop. You'll get clipped across the ear all for doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I came up with a tape dispenser that can. Uh, it eliminates all of that. Um, so the other thing I do, and what some people don't seem to do when they create or design something, be it electronic or be it be it anything at all, they they're blinded by the um, what do I call it, the big money bag? They think, "Wow, I'm going to do this. It's going to create a job for me. I'm going to make it. I'm going to set up a manufacturing base and da 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 da. Be wonderful." But I'm pretty sure you know, doing all that part as well, that takes a whole set of different skills, uh, different dedication, apart from it takes money, of course. And the more successful you are, the more orders you get, you have to then borrow more money to keep funding and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, it's a full, full full-time commitment. That's okay, I think, for someone that's got one idea but I go crazy just stuck on one idea. There's just there's just too many. Um, so what I do, and I do a system that a lot of designers and creators won't do, um, they wonder why I do it, and there's a good reason. I will, if I think it's really, really a good idea and I've really researched it and I'm able, because I'm able to actually make things, um, you know, I can cut, draw, paint. There's nothing I can't make. With, with my hands. I'm hopeless at mathematics, I can't spell, um, but with my fingers, which are locked onto my brain, they form a wonderful little duo, I realised, at that early age. So if I've got an idea, I can actually make, you know, a working um, prototype of it. Um, and then I will actually go into very small manufacturing run, very small, and sometimes I won't... I won't market, I won't promote it. I don't want it to be too well known. I just want to see whether my instincts were correct and there was a market. And so you get a track record, you get a few sales under your belt and then there are ways of letting people in the industry that that product belongs in, letting them know it's there. And many times this has happened to me. I've supplied, say, a few retail stores not many, but enough to keep the thing rolling over and me not too deep in depth um, with, with just trying to develop that one product. And people have gone to that store in the same industry. They've seen the product I've had. They've called me up and said, are you the guy that invented that, you know, that little soft toy that does da 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 or that, uh, um, that game or whatever it might be? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm the guy that says. Um, and then comes that magic word that I've grown to love they say, we would like to license the rights from that, from you, and we'd like to pay you in advance against royalties, and we would like to give you a guaranteed minimum amount, and we would like to manufacture it, and distribute it, and do all the hard bits, and we'll pay you a royalty. That's what I discovered, and if you possibly can, that's the way to do it. Um, And sometimes... Um, I've taken things into a company and, and um, said, look, I've got this great idea to learn. Here's the working model. Uh, oh, we're not really sort of interested at this time. So if it happens three or four times with three or four people in the industry, I then am still convinced it's a winner and I'll do that. I'll make it, I'll sell it on a small scale and prove to them that there is a market for it. Once they know there's a market for it, they don't care really what the product is. As long as it's selling, and they come back and sign a license. And the beauty of licensing your ideas is eventually they all come back to you again. And some of my designs and products, um, I've relicensed. Of course, you've got to stay alive long enough to do this, <laughs> it helps. And I've relicensed some of mine two or three times over a period of, say, 40 years, um, which to me is. P- Wonderful, uh, which is of course books. Books land right in that, yeah, because you can rewrite them and rejig them, put a different title on, and then good old internet raising its head. Wow, what a you know. F- as far as books are concerned, I'm about to do that with some of my books. I haven't got into that yet, um, but I must admit it's a bit daunting. This you know, all, all the different um, uh, what do you call it pr- uh, platforms and things that you have to learn. It's a bit tricky, a bit tricky so i was thinking even of of uh, finding someone that knew all those pieces uh that would come in with me and i've got the books i've got you know artwork it's all done da-da-da-da-da, they take care of the other side and then you just do a split royalty with them so in effect a lot of a lot of people uh, that are artists and creators etc they they look at me with a skew and they say oh you know don't you feel like you're selling out I said, well, actually, there's two f- forms of selling out. There's selling out creatively and then there's selling out. I said, you should be, <laughs> you should be thinking about selling out. I, I would love to put a big sign out you know, on any shop I had and say, sold out, everything, everything gone.
0: You've got to go for the sellout, man. They confuse it. And artists
1: particularly do have this problem of I don't want to upset my uh, artistic sensibilities and da 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 da. And then they say, well, I'm not selling any artwork. And uh, so, what's happening? It's happened in the last three or four months. Artists are coming to me uh, because I'm an artist and I understand their sensibilities. And we do get a bit precious and a bit, you know, um, introspective. Um, and many artists won't touch the internet. Um, Art galleries don't like them sometimes to have a a website of their own and they're having trouble, art galleries, in adjusting to the internet and there are ways that they can do it really nicely but they're not thinking along those lines. But artists particularly, and um, I could, if I was to spend a week with an artist and one that tells me they're not selling much of their artwork, I could spend a, a week or maybe less than that with them and I would be able to tell them, Uh, with very little change in their art style at all, of the type paintings, the subject matter that they should paint where they'll still feel comfortable and the size of painting that they should paint and and the subject matter and the colours and then what to call that painting and how to put something in that painting that turns it into a painting that tells a story. Now, it wouldn't be – it doesn't matter whether they do just a portrait or whatever – Um, and they will sell more paintings and they won't feel like, you know, they've sold out, so to speak, um, creatively. And so uh, increasingly artists are sort of listening to me when I say that. Um, So uh, I I didn't sort of plan on doing this as as I got older, but uh, it's quite fascinating to do that uh, for an artist, to turn them into a slightly different direction very carefully so they don't, you know... As they say, spit the dummy. Um, and it's sort of like churning up little pro uh, what are they, put, put the Is that the word? Uh, yeah, yeah, It's interesting. Um, but that um that easel, yeah. remember, I, I think you were attracted because of that easel. Um ah. that is a classic marketing um case and, and something I never intended to do, but I was um doing a large painting about four years ago, five years ago, on a, on a uh, chair, reaching up to get a particular stroke of paint on the top of the painting. Obviously, chair flipped and I fell off and hurt myself rather badly. And again, I did the same thing um, as I did with most other things. I thought, well, why isn't there an easel that can do this and dah, 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 where I wouldn't fall off the chair? And so I then asked... Uh, straight away, a lot of artist friends of mine, i you know, so I ran into about the hundreds, I spoke to them and I said, uh, can you tell me, uh, are you disgruntled with your, you know, ordinary A-frame, H-frame easel? And they just poured out, as if no one had ever asked them, they just poured out the things. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, tell you what, I'll be back in a week. So I, I prepared a questionnaire and I wrote down, about the six or seven things that I wanted an easel to do and the list of things um, on it, I asked them what their easel at the moment they were disgruntled with, what, what was you know, the problems with them. And I couldn't believe it. As I got that data back in, I put it up on a board and their answers and replies and their problems were almost identical. There was a pattern and they matched mine. And so I thought, well, wow. so I literally designed, started designing an easel around that whiteboard and those answers that I got from artists. And the shape that the easel turned out to be was so unique and different. And this really, I really got a kick out of this. I would show it um, to people, artist or non artist And unless I told them that it was an easel, they couldn't tell me what it was which astounded me. They couldn't tell me that it was an easel. And that presented two problems. Well, one that was great. I thought, well, I've created something here. They can't even tell what it is until I tell them. But from a marketing point of view, of course, that made it a bit problematic because uh, now I had to actually explain what that did. And the problem with, with with sometimes when you when you step forward such a giant leap in a product design... um. You find that sometimes it's so far and it's still connected with the name easel. The second you say, oh, I've got this really unusual easel, a different easel, they're still thinking, A-frame, H-frame. And those things were created centuries ago, and uh, I reasoned that they were created when people's physical and mental well-being was a very little concern. They didn't care whether you went gaga or whether your back ached. They couldn't, you know... They, there was no concern for that. And then I, I reasoned that the demographics was different. In those days, it was, you know, maybe noblemen's sons uh, wanted to do painting, etc. Very few, I, I don't think, peasants painted. But now, of course, everyone is, is painting. Huge demographic range right around the world. Um, you know, kids, um, teenagers, middle people, retired people, older people. So it's a wide demographic and they present a wide set of problems that they're coping with. So my um, my quest was to design this to appease all those demographics and that's when I discovered I, I did the same thing. I made a few um, uh, because this was now, this was quite a serious invention. This had lots of parts and bits and pieces and a lot of, uh, local workmen in their little, you know, their shops, they've got around, how, um, how, what do you call them, industrial estates, yeah, uh, you know. powder coaters and people that metal do metal stuff. It was really funny. I would turn up to these factories sometimes with my sketches and uh, I could hear them shouting out, hey, Harry, here comes that puffy bloody guy again, that arty guy. He's got some other drawing. Wonder what he wants to do, us to do this time. Come on, let's have a look. What do you got now, Tom? Um, but even though they sort of sent me up in the Aussie, you know, attitude, um, they just genuinely helped me. Um, and they, they thought it was wonderful that they were being involved in a arty-farty sort of project, and I was actually asking their advice about how to bend this frame here and bend this bit of metal here. And so whenever I, I've been interviewed in, you know, local papers, local guys making an art easel, I always mentioned them, And of course, they just helped me even more. So, um, and I never forget those people. And at Christmas time, um, I go to each of the little factories, there's about six or seven of them, and I get a big box of a thing called chocolate royals. They're a particular. Chocolate covered um, sort of uh, biscuit that's made in Australia. It's—I got to tell you—it's heaven on a stick. It's wonderful, and I give them a great big box of chocolate royals, and uh, you know it didn't cost much, uh, but they just think it's wonderful. The fact that uh, someone would actually bother going back and thanking them for the help uh, that they gave me. So, uh, and you have to do that. I think you have to do that. You can't. You know, you can't sort of do these sometimes in a total vacuum. But when I put that easel out, I knew what it could do, but I wasn't going to say it. I waited till artists called me up and contacted me. And one artist called me up. He'd been painting for 30, 40 years, and he was a pretty good painter, really good painter, an old-timer. And uh, he called me up and he says, you that guy, you designed that? I said, yeah, I did. He said, uh, I got to tell you, he said, I was really skeptical. He said, but uh, after about 30 minutes, can't believe it. He said, I actually paint better with that easel. And so I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, you know what you've just said? I said, you've said something that's never been heard before in the history of art that an easel can actually help you paint better. And And I said, can you stay on the phone? I said, if not, I'll phone you back. I phoned him back and I said, okay. Can we discuss why it's doing that? I just need to nail why it's doing it, and I need it to come from your mouth and other artists. And uh, we got the solution was simple. It was so obvious that no one had actually seen it. No one had seen it. And it was as simple as uh, if you remove all the physical and the, um, uh, the physical and the visual impediments that an ordinary a and h frame easel puts in front of every artist every artist once you remove them and all you're left with is this canvas floating in mid-air you paint better because the the easel's gone it's out of the way and um i was just stunned i i still am i just (laughs) because i keep thinking why didn't someone do this before why didn't somebody do it before Um how could this kid that you know sold a dead seagull (laughs) do this easel? Um maybe it's because I was the kid that you know sold a dead seagull. Maybe that's why it was just the the art world was just waiting for this kid to come
0: along. (laughs) You're always analyzing your own problems, which I think is a huge thing. And when you when you actually find a market based off something that you were solving for yourself and, and other people that have kind of built that community around it, it's got to feel pretty good to know that that you're the one who actually did come up with it and and put it out there and actually saw it through to the end because somebody else could have had that idea but they probably didn't go through everything that you did and put the effort in behind it to actually make it happen you know Uh, yeah and i've worked on it for
1: you know i've been working on it for five years you know not every day because i like to work on three or four projects because you you'll hit a brick wall one day so you leave that And you go to the other one um, and then solve problems there. And and maybe six weeks later, bing, you wake up and, ah, now I know how to fix that problem on that product, and you go back. But I'm in that, you know, lucky position. That's all I can do. Many creators, they come up with the one thing, that's it. Um, Yeah, it could be a huge success, but wouldn't it be a bummer if you couldn't think of something else? How frustrating would that be? It would be to me anyway. (laughs) Just would, Um, so. But
0: I highly doubt that's going to happen.
1: Well, I don't know. Probably not. Probably not. But I can. I got to tell you, the one call I got that really, really made this worthwhile to persevere. I've never persevered that long with one actual design of something ever. Usually, it's over in you know five, six, seven, eight weeks, and it's out, or I license it. But someone called me. A young boy called me. Uh, about 19 years of age, a few months ago. And uh, he said, I just want to tell you, he said, I've just got your easel. He said, it's changed my life. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, hang on. I said, how the heck can an easel change your life? I said, it can make, you know, painting easier for you. I said, but change your life? He said, no, 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 you don't understand. He said, um, I was involved in an accident. He says, and uh, my rest of my life's in a wheelchair. And he said, so obviously I've been taking out painting. I said, oh, oh, good, I'm pleased about that. And, uh, and I said, well, how the, how the heck's it changed your life? He says, because in a couple of ways. He says, now, my mother doesn't have to stay with me in the house all day when I'm painting. She's released and she can go out. And the other reason, he said, is because most people that paint in a wheelchair are confined to a, a reasonably one set size of a canvas because, of course, they can't reach, you know, uh, too far. He said, but your easel allows me now to paint bigger canvases and I can rotate it and I can put it flat, and And uh, he said, trust me, he said, if you're sitting in a wheelchair, he said, that changes your life. If, if art is one of your, you know, the key things that's giving you something um, into your life. And... Uh, I was really taken aback by that because I never had that in mind whatsoever. Um, And the upshot of that now is um, I visit that chap, that young guy, and I'm seeing him again next week. I'm in the middle now of designing um, an easel that is specifically for people that paint in wheelchairs. And if I do nothing else and all my other things um, that I've designed and created... um, what a way to go with, with helping people in that situation. Um, it's, uh, it's pretty humbling, got to tell you, um, when someone says that to you. Um, so uh, I'm glad I came to Australia. All this wouldn't have happened to me if, I'd have come to, if I hadn't have come to Australia.
0: <clears throat> yeah, how amazing. I- I mean, that's the most powerful thing, just hearing stories like that. It it gets me so pumped up and exciting that, that that kind of thing actually happens out there. I mean, even with this show, people contact me and tell me how much it's changing their life, and I love it. And awesome. and I'm yeah. just so happy to be a part of, of being able to interview amazing people like you who have actually gone out there and made this stuff happen. And it, it really kicks everybody else in the ass and says, you know, you, you can do this. You know, you can go out yeah. and do
1: this. Yeah, and, and you don't have to have, you
0: know, um, well, I mean – it's
1: it's uh, well-known uh, what are the, the highest achievers in in lots of things. They're the ones that were hopeless at school, you know, um, the Bransons. I mean, I'm not putting myself in that area at all. But, um, you know, there they were people that just didn't have time for all the academic stuff. They just wanted to, you know, get out and design or make or create something. It happens again and again and again. But you think schools and things would encourage that sort of uh, mindset but it's pretty difficult to handle someone like that at a school um it's pretty difficult teachers life is is really hard uh I spent I think oh, was it about 10 years of my life traveling around schools and putting on one-man shows in schools um about creative thinking and uh I know how hard it is to you know t- to be a to be a teacher it's really difficult So I take my hat off to them. Often they've asked me, "Have you thought of being a teacher?" I said, uh, "I would last. I would last five minutes before before some official or government official would fire me, (laughs) because I can't stick to the rules. Unfortunately, as you know, in creating, you learn the rules. You learn all the rules of the tools and how to use them, and all the rules. You learn them." as best you can, better than anyone else if you can. And then you spend the rest of your life breaking every single one. And that's how you come up with new things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Break the rules, but first break the rulers, man. (laughs)
1: That's it. Yeah. And it doesn't help too. If you're left-handed, I remember those teachers clapping me on the left hand, trying to force me to a pen in my right hand. And, uh, no, no. I thought, Now I'm riding on my left hand. It, it's comfortable there with the left hand. Yeah. <laughs> I should say, how to drive bullies bonkers if you're left-handed.
0: <laughs> I think you'd hit a niche there and, and, and probably open up a whole nother can of worms.
1: <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I using? think 10% or 20% of us are left-handed for some reason. I don't know. And we're supposed to think, what is it, the opposite side of our brain or something or other? My wife thinks I think of a part of my brain that hasn't been invented yet. She says, <laughs> <laughs> uh, "Oh,
0: well, oh!" She probably I, knows you better than anybody else, right? Oh yes, oh yes, <laughs> she definitely
1: does. You know, what she tells people. Um, she says, "You know, why I stayed with Tony all these years, and and of course you think, wow, because I'm uh, you know I'm really good in bed or I'm great looking or whatever." No, nah, no. Nah. she always says, "Because he continues to amuse me." <laughs>
0: <laughs> Never a dull moment, you know?
1: Well, and I I think that matters a lot with ladies. You've got to keep them entertained. You've got to keep them laughing and, uh, and not take yourself too seriously. And uh, they'll stick with you for life then.
0: <laughs> yeah, an amazing piece of advice there for sure. So if you could go back, Tony, to the beginning, is there anything that you would do differently at all?
1: <laughs> um, Anything I do differently... Not really. Um, No, not really, because you sort of think, well, if I'd have changed that journey in some way, it wouldn't have been. And obviously you need the failures. Yep, I've had some, you know, incredible failures. But, of course, um, life would be boring as hell if you just kept succeeding everything you did. It would just get too boring. Uh, But The only thing I would perhaps do differently is knowing when to, you know, cut your losses and move on. Sometimes we hang in there just a bit too long and when we should move on. So that's about – apart from that, I'm glad I can't still, you know, add up. I'm glad I still can't spell because it would just get in the way of um, being, you know, creative and designing stuff, I suppose. Now, wouldn't do anything different really, not that I can think of.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> which I think that everybody learns from their past. And I think we definitely build most of our successes off the back of our failures. So, yeah. so looking back at anything that doesn't work out, it's just something that we learn from and we're able to move on to the next step and make it even better the next time. So it's, it's a roller coaster that we're all happy to ride. Yeah. And
1: everything that we, uh, what you said, Oh, you think oh, I'm remarkable. I do all these things. No, I don't really, I've only been doing one thing. Uh, all my life, all I've been doing is sketching and drawing an idea, or sketching and drawing and painting and making things. Um, and I just learned how to perhaps uh, make them so that people would also want them. That's all I've done. I can't st- uh, step out of that creative area. I'm, you know, I'm totally lost. Totally lost. I don't fit in, and I know I don't fit into normal society. But people that know me, they um, they sort of take. You know, they just take that sort of person as they are. I'm sure your friends take you as you are uh, because you're not exactly mainstream, I can tell, (laughs) and I'm sure your wife would agree. Um, I get a little crazy. uh, That's right, and the world always needs a little bit of, what should I say, Um, humorous, um, harmless craziness because (laughs) without normal, if we just have all normalness, it's pretty damn boring, it is. Uh, through this life pretty boring
0: yeah absolutely and i love that humorous harmless craziness yes you gotta have a sense of
1: humor how anyone can get through life without a sense of humor is beyond me i've had um because i don't go by social ears and races at all it doesn't enter my my thinking uh i've been speaking to someone and i've stopped halfway through and i've said hang on hang on i got a problem can you tell me have you always been this you know, goddamn miserable. What happened to you? I have to say it. I can't not say it. <laughs> and they're quite taken aback because no one's ever pulled them up on it. You know, aren't you miserable? Are you miserable all the time? It must be dreadful.
0: <laughs> yeah. It- you have, you have to get down and just really find what drives you in life and be passionate and just put all the laughter and humor and positivity into it and just bring the energy, you know, get funky, get creative and, and just get out there and do it. And your life yep. will turn around in a jiffy.
1: Yep. Just do it and surround yourself with the, the right people, um, other creators if you can. And, uh, and that's it. Just go for it. You know, you get one pass through there. That's it. You've only got one shot. Better make the most of it. Really,
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, you've, made, you've made the most of so many different things, and you, you've created. <laughs> uh, I can't even like look at all, all your accolades and things that you've done, and especially like these these paper crafts that you have on. And you have Tony's papercrafts dot com. Uh, you have. I'm looking at the website right now. And it's amazing. You were talking earlier about how you can pretty much create anything with your hands. And my girlfriend is actually huge into scrapbooking and she loves this kind of stuff. So I'm going to be happy to forward this to her. Uh, But, but it's amazing. Like everything from, from the band that you're in, I know you have a little snippet about that on here to the, the, the dead bird and, and creating the easel and just the million things that you've done in between, including the 30 books you've written. I can't tell you how inspired that I am, and and how this, you know, the rest of my day and week, and I'm going to think about this for a while. Just, it's all so much more possible than anybody thinks.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, too, when you're in, you, when you keep in this gifty, crafty, kiddie type area that I keep in, um, the the skills you learn at one, of course, they they help you and make you better at the other one so that's basically all i've done i've learned something i've taken it into the next sort of industry um gifts or toys or books or writing and songs and they've all helped make me better each time i've attempted something so i stick close to things i know and a, a case in point is i'm in the middle of writing the world's first in your face get up and dance rock and roll song about art and artists and uh, it's called Painting Crazy and I'll be asking artists um, what is important to them about art, what they think because you're looking for keywords when you write a song uh, about a particular subject and so um, I'll record that and then I'll just uh, give it to um, artists worldwide. They can have it. They can run with it. They can use it because it's about them and it will reflect the, the way they think about art, the funny side of art, um, the painting, the, the their aspirations, but in a rock and roll song with a catchy chorus, of course. And, uh, of course, um, I can put things inside that song which turn it into a, you know, a marketing viral song. Um, and that's the way to sort of spread the word sometimes is through music. Um, but no one's ever written a song specifically for art, And artists, maybe they take themselves a bit too seriously. So we'll see what happens with that one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I love the way your mind thinks, my friend. It's amazing, and and I agree. I mean, think about the songs that people wrote for remembering, like, you know, arithmetics and things like that. They do go viral, and people do remember them. So I think you're going to have quite a bit of success with that. Well, what I'll do
1: too, once it's done, and I've got all the chorus and, the, and uh, the words to it, I'll send out, um, you know, through LinkedIn or whatever I call it in those places and say, okay, here's the words to the song. Um, i recorded it and sung it, but I'm now going to do a video and I want you to send me in. If you've got a little tiny clip or a photograph that fits one of the words or passages, etc. send it to me and I'll jam that into the video and it will be crammed with you know crazy artists as well
0: (laughs) yeah let's do it keep in touch with me and i and i would be happy to contribute it'd be amazing
1: i'll let you know when it's done um when it's finished and um and then i'll and i'll send you you know i'll email you an mp3 file i mean if i had more time i could um even uh and get you in on the course, because I could send an MP3 file, couldn't I have a little section of it, and say, just sing into your recorder there these words. You send them back to me. I'll then drop them in.
0: Um, I'm and about include- making music. Yeah, yeah.
1: Have you ever been on a rock and roll record?
0: Uh, I do make music with a couple of my buddies, just not necessarily, I wouldn't say live rock and roll music, but I play the guitar a little bit, and it's a lot of fun. So Yeah, it is i got to tell you, I never thought
1: ever in my wildest dreams that I would ever, ever be a pop star, a rock and roll star in a band. i got to tell you, it's pretty damn good. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased that happened to me. I mean, I landed in Australia and I got a job in a department store in display and I wrote back to mum in England and, uh, and I said, uh, uh, guess what, mum? I said, I've given up my job. I've joined this band, and guess what? We've got a number one record. Um, I'm now a pop star. It's, I mean, what a thing to say. It's just so cool. I mean, there wouldn't be a guy alive who didn't sometime want to be in a rock and roll band. Come on, get honest. Yes, of course you did. And, um, yep, i tell you, it's everything that's cracked up to be. It's pretty damn good. It's pretty good. I only did it for a year. I got bored. I got bored. We we had, I think, four or five number ones in the first year. And then I said, oh, that's it, guys. I've done that. I'm moving on. I've got other things to do. And I left. And one of the band members went on and joined the Bee Gees. And um, uh, the, one of the other band members became an icon here in this country. Um, so it was an interesting. it's an interesting time and uh they still contact me we still talk you know music's quite a bonding thing isn't it i'm quite yeah. surprised yeah. yeah
0: it's my favorite uh, thing in the whole world and i mean to, to go on to join the bee gees that's that's pretty awesome
1: <laughs> yeah yeah um, which member was it um vince uh he was in the um in like the first bee gees um nice. and then they, nice. and then they split up and then they finally went you know by themselves and the lead singer in the band i was in um Oh uh, he um he went on to a huge fine he's a historical, you know, musical historical figure here in, in Australia. He had a couple of hits I think in America as well. And uh he did a he, he formed a band with Fleetwood Mac. Oh, um, yeah. One of my favorites. He didn't join Fleetwood Mac, he formed a separate band with the guy, the drummer. Awesome. Um yeah, so um they all interlink with you know, with stories and things. Um so I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of music, and I create a song in exactly the same way as I create or design a product or a book or a soft toy or an easel. I, I come at it in exactly the same way. Um, it may seem formalistic, but I, you don't get that hint about anything. You, you have to give it a little rough edge so it doesn't look too formalistic. But, you know, just stick to knowing what I know, what I do. So uh, it's toys, it's books, it's, you know, music. And, um,
0: it's being you know, it's awesome it. in every way
1: possible. It's easels and art. No, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm such a misfit. I don't fit into real <laughs> society. Trust me, I just can't. I'm so awkward um, unless I'm designing or making something. It's just that's it. What can I tell you? Um, and that's when
0: you, when you create this stuff and make it, it's amazing. The community of people that are just like you that kind of start building around you, and and it, it almost makes you feel like a sense of home.
1: Uh, yeah, and, and I realize too, um, when I I do quite a bit of public speaking, and never thought I'd be able to do that. Uh, but of course, when you're speaking about what you know, and every time people come up to me, no matter what I'm talking about, whether it's marketing or designing or whatever, inventing, uh, they come up and they said, "God," they said, uh, you, "You you speak with such passion." They they mention that word every time, passion, and I couldn't figure out. I thought, "What do they mean, passion?" And uh, what they mean, of course, is they know that i'm speaking from the heart and i'm speaking from a place that i absolutely am absolutely in love with and is is totally what i am and they pick up on that because they think they're the only person that's got that sort of passion and when they see someone talking about it unabashedly and gets really excited and, and steers completely off what he was talking about onto something else because I can't help it. And I often apologize. I said, look, I know I meant to keep on that particular thing, but I got sidetracked because you asked me that question and I thought I'd tell you the story of, uh, you know, the letter lickers and did uh, da da And they said, no, 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 no. It's the passion. It's the passion. That's what they actually, um, that's what they feed off. I'm quite amazed at that, that they do. So... Um I thought of this little saying what was it? Uh, the things you make, create and do will one day motivate someone else to do it too. So you've always got to think of that when you're you know, talking about or um, presenting something you've done. Be passionate and you'll motivate someone else.
0: I love that. And there's been some amazing quotes that you've dropped in this interview that I'm going to make sure to put on the show notes. And everybody can check that out at artsynow.com forward slash Tony Barber. And and you'll have all of, you know, we'll get samples of all your artworks, all your crafts, maybe a picture of your easel. And I do think we should collaborate on that song and maybe we can throw it up there on, on the page of, of your site when it's done on. Yeah,
1: oh, that'll be good. Yeah, that'll be, be good. Yeah, fine. Right, I've, I've written half the words and the melody. And I'm just, I sort of do it, Um, you know, on occasions here and there, bits and pieces usually takes me a couple of weeks or so. So when I get to that stage and it's done, I'll send you the words first because you may have a suggestion uh, that can go in there. And as long as you don't want any royalties, because there's going to be no royalties on this. It's just going to be given, um, you know. Um, so you and I be rock and roll stars again.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm 100% in the share economy, Tony.
1: Goody I good. love good.
0: creating things.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, of course, I don't give away the easel. You have to buy that. <laughs> it, oh, takes yeah, too, it takes too long to make it, yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> an amazing adventure, and I've been just pumped up to have you on the show. But before we call it quits, do you have any people that you kind of idolized when you were growing up? Uh, creative influencers of your own, you know, as a young child, you you kind of latched on to the creative side of life pretty pretty quick. Was there anybody that you kind of idolized?
1: Well, funny enough, there was one guy that uh, I just bought a paper sculpture book. And, um, I think his name was sounds strange. I've never mentioned this to anyone. This is the first time I've mentioned this
0: yes.
1: Um, yes. I got this book, and it was by a guy called arthur Sadler and this was like uh was written i think nineteen forty or something like that and he was a he he did paper sculpture and uh I just was besotted by this book and um i've I've since got every reprint of it and uh If anyone gets that book, it's really old fashioned, you know, funky type sort of uh, paper sculpture. It's like obviously 1940s styles, um, but it showed me what could be done. And then another person that I um, absolutely adored, of course, was Disney, Walt Disney. Um, Not so much uh, because I don't know if the guy could even draw, you know, I I can't remember. I don't know whether he could, Um, but what he did He motivated those that could draw and paint and create. And uh, you often find that they're hard taskmasters, these people. They'll be there first in the morning. They'll leave last at night. And another one was Jim Henson. Same thing, obsessive, uh, passionate, uh, hard taskmaster, from what I hear. Um, So I haven't sort of had that because I've always dealt and created by myself. Um, but, um, I've often wondered what it would be like, you know, to, to create with someone else. Um, maybe that'll happen one day. I don't know. But at the moment I've just got a new collaborator and that's you with this song. So there you
0: go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Let's get it done. Okay. It'll get be, be done created. It. It'll be amazing. And, yeah. and so Tony, if you had to battle Godzilla, How do you think you would use your creativity or your talents to defeat that big, ugly bastard?
1: I know exactly how I would do that. Because I can sew at a sewing machine, which, by the way, did you know a sewing machine was invented actually for two reasons? One was to sew, and two was to make words come out of your mouth that you never, ever thought you would ever say. (laughs) Anyone that sews will know exactly what I mean. Anyway, um, I would make a small size Godzilla suit and I would get into it. And um, the motto would be, you know, if you can't beat them, and obviously I couldn't beat Godzilla, I would join them as their species. And I, he may perhaps not notice me as much. <laughs> so I'd do that. I'd quickly sew up a Godzilla suit and get in it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it would work out probably. Optimize oh, and, and take him down. Yeah, yeah. Well, unless he's into killing their own
1: babies, I at least I'd be safe. Well, it gave me time to think of some other way of bringing him down.
0: What <laughs> about the amount of money you could make if you put him in a shoebox and then and then a bunch <laughs> of people pay to see a dead guy? Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. You, you're enamored by that shoebox, aren't you, with the leg through <laughs> it? Because I designed a toy 30 years later. I designed a toy, I put it in a bag, I pull its nose through with the whiskers and that went on to sell hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them and spawned a whole series of books and everything else and it was all because I remembered what I did with that damn dead seagull. So it just shows you what comes around, what is it? What goes around comes around. Um, So good ideas can too.
0: Yeah, and it's, this has been such an amazing story and an amazing time to have you on here, Tony. So I really do appreciate it. It has been uh, truly the best way to start a morning for me. And do you have any closing advice that you'd like to give the listeners? Uh, I suppose
1: one of them is, because uh, I'm such a fan of that YouTube, uh, I can't believe that YouTube. It's I speak to artists and they don't seem to get it. I said, don't you understand that YouTube is the biggest television station in the world and you can advertise on it free. You don't have to pay any advertising fee. You can advertise on it for free, you know, for crying out loud. Learn how to make a little simple video and stick it up there. And because people are fascinated by artists, uh, those that can't paint just absolutely are fascinated by watching that people paint i said tell them about yourself you know how you painted that painting and how you created that don't get into all that you know airy fairy stuff oh my deep-seated rebellion against the uh, forget that they want to know you know about you the artist and how you did that actual painting um and that you know that youtube is perfect that is if you can you know get your old ones off and change them, which i'm gonna find out
0: how to do <laughs> <laughs> yeah we should definitely look into that and figure it out i think there is a way so uh, okie dokie but yeah what, what where where can our listeners get in contact with you tony and i'll put all the show links on the website obviously uh but do you yeah. have any
1: uh, an email yeah, you have- want to list or a couple of your websites yeah. I'm happy for them to uh, email me. I'm always open in uh, any time I've got. I try and help people whenever I can, time allowing. Um, my email address is northpaw, and that's north, and then P-A-W, Northpoor, at bigpond.com. And the reason that's called Northpoor at bigpond.com is because I was going to call it southpaw.com at uh, at Big Pond and Southpour Asian I was left-handed. But my wife said, hang on, hang on, hang on. She says, North is far more important because that's the hand, my right hand, that banks the checks. You just keep creating. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. So I said, All right, all right, we'll call it Northport at bigpond.com <laughs>
0: That's hilarious. It's and if they want things work out, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: And if they want an easel, of course they can just um well if you're in America actually, you can contact Carl and he's a brilliant absolutely brilliant friend of mine that I I lived in Los Angeles for about 4 years and and um uh, worked uh licensing you know toy ideas to Mattel and people like that and I met Carl who's a genius model maker he's so so clever with model making and maquettes and things and he left that uh business I think and then he's moved to Wisconsin and uh designed um uh, jetties, um, you call them not jetties, what are they called? Um, you don't call them jetties. Um, you know, the things that you put when uh, ships dock up against them, but they're for rivers and, uh, oh, what are they called? Piers, piers, piers. that's it. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and uh, so he came to see me. We hadn't met for 30 years, and uh, um, he's now the um, uh, distributor manufacturer of the easel in America. So, um and we sort of jointly work on things together as two. Um, so you can contact him there or you can contact me through the uh, the artistic website um, or the Papercraft one or North Pole. Happy to answer questions and help whenever I can.
0: Absolutely. And I connected with Tony on LinkedIn, so he's on there as well. And he's involved in some of the major art threads on there, which is awesome. And so everybody... Get out there, check out his stuff. He is truly a wonder. Everything that he's done, super inspiring. If you had any questions, or you want to talk to him, he's completely open uh, to communication. And I can't wait to get the collaboration with the song out there, Tony. And
1: oh, yeah, now I won't forget that. I won't forget that. I will definitely do that because it will help you and help me and help artists and make them feel better too. Yeah, we will do that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So everybody get out there, get funky, do something crazy, go knock on your neighbor's door at 5 a.m. and give them a high five, you know, buy <laughs> buy some candy and send it to some people in the mail anonymously or get on your email and, and return an email from seven years ago just to blow somebody's mind. Who knows? Just do something crazy every single day. And Tony, thank you so much for being the entrepreneur now. And it's been awesome.
1: Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for asking me.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of The Newer. Now. For all the show notes, it's artsynow.com. If you want to be a guest on the show, email me at create at artsynow.com or on Twitter at HB underscore Armstrong. The music, well, that's shaky feeling. Check them out. Ventura, California. Ta-ta. Keep it funky.